0: What will I become?
2: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. Hey there, Blake. How are hey. you doing?
1: I'm cold, Ben, because I don't have a Monster Talk t-shirt.
0: You know you know what would be really cool, Blake, would be if a there Monster was Talk a... A
1: Monster Talk t-shirt. Yes, that
0: just, that's just what I was thinking. Um, why, why don't we have somebody design a t-shirt, Blake? But, Ben, who could we ask? Hmm... I don't know. Let me think. Dun, dun. Hey, I have an idea, Blake. Why don't we hold a contest and we'll have our listeners, many of whom are very creative and frankly much better artists and are smarter than we are, and ask them to to submit some designs for our super cool awesome Monster Talk t-shirt.
1: I like this idea, but how can we properly incentivize our listeners to participate? That's a great question, Blake. Let me think. Hey, I know. Maybe we could offer
0: prizes for first, second, and third place designs. And, of course, the grand prize, the best one, will be put on a Monster Talk t-shirt. What do you think of that, Blake? I think we should use the losers, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's... (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that's... I think that's a great idea. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we have an official Monster Talk t-shirt contest challenge thingy? We'll have, like, the deadline be the end of the year. The
1: 2012 Monster Talk t-shirt contest thingy. Submit your designs to contest at monstertalk.org. Deadline for entries December 31st, 2011. Winners to be selected in January. Chances are they're not what you think they are. All your life you've been shown images of genies as powerful, magical entities which have, through one method or another, been trapped in a lamp or a ring and are forced to do the bidding of anyone who possesses such items. But those so-called genies have about as much to do with traditional gen of Arabic folklore as Casper the Friendly Ghost has to do with The Shining. Here's the most important difference between the genie from pop culture and the creatures called jinn. Many people all over the world believe that djinn are real, often malevolent creatures which are responsible for hauntings and possession. They fit the cultural niche that ghosts and demons fill in Western culture and are generally not at all the sort of creature you'd want to let out of a bottle or encounter in a desolate valley or an abandoned home. And while they inspired I Dream of Jeannie and Disney's Aladdin, They also fueled the writings of H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. So sit back and prepare to uncork a bottle of gin on this episode of Monster Talk.
2: It's actually
1: quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford, we're going to chat with author Robert Lebling about his new book, Legends of the Fire Spirits. It's a very comprehensive book about the folklore surrounding creatures known as djinn. Of course, Ben and I are skeptics, and Lebling's book presents the legends, folklore, and modern anecdotes from a neutral stance. He's living in Saudi Arabia in a culture where these entities are not only believed by the public, but also endorsed by the Quran and by Islam. Listeners to Monster Talk will recognize that I have an affinity for tales of the paranormal and the supernatural, and so do my co-hosts. If you're into that sort of thing, I think you'll find Lebling's book a fascinating read. We don't have him on to debate the existence of these entities, but to talk about the legends. Some of the tales of Jinn will describe phenomena similar to a haunting, others to possession, yet others to fairy tales and folk tales, and even alien abduction stories. All of these classes of phenomena are familiar to skeptical paranormal enthusiasts, but it's fascinating to hear these same kinds of experiences attributed to an entirely different entity. I find that interesting as a skeptic and as an enthusiast of anthropology and psychology. I suspect you will too if you give his book a read. Let's get to our interview with Robert Lebling right now monster
2: dog.
1: what led you to become interested in in gin
2: um i suppose my interest in the middle east uh probably led to that um i'm interested uh in anthropology i did did some study in college and um started to hear stories over here in saudi arabia and other countries in the region and um i became interested in uh finding out what what was behind the story. So I did start to do research into it, and I uh, got access to a very good library of um, old material and new material. And uh, from there, I I, um, I decided I ought to start my own uh, Yahoo group and, and start chatting with people about it. And before you know it, uh, the Jin group was born, and... Um, and from that, I started collecting material over the years. It's been this goes back to the 1990s because I've been here since '94 in Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's now uh, it's just one of those things that uh, it's kind of hard to shake. So I, I've I've been uh, you know I decided eventually the material I collected was worth putting into a book, and and after working on it uh, through a number of iterations with uh, my Editor at IB Taurus, um, we finally found something that we thought would work—a narrative history—and uh, so that's where we are. Um, we've told yeah. what we think is the origins and the um, and uh, the scope of the jinn phenomenon around the world, uh, primarily in the Muslim and Arabic-speaking world. Uh, but um, I don't know. There's more. I've collected so much material over the years. About other um, supernatural phenomena, uh, spirit creatures, and the like, that uh, may spin those into another book at another time. uh, Drawing in, uh, discussing the parallels between the genie or the jinn uh, phenomenon and um, and uh, uh, those of other countries, for example, a Celtic tradition, uh, the elves and fairies, and so forth.
0: Yeah, uh, China and so forth. I was going to say, I, 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 you know, I've, I've read your book, of course, Legends of the Fire Spirits, and I, re- I have to say, I really enjoyed it. It just, it, it had such good, rich historical context and in, in, um, anthropological context. It was fascinating to me to, to read an account uh, of gin of that was in depth and scholarly, uh, because a lot of the stuff that I would read about, because you know, this is one, one of my interests. And um, so much of it was just sort of superficial, you know, mentions in passing. And I was struck by uh, the the research that w- that went into it. Now, can you talk a little bit about that research?
2: Well, um, I started collecting stories and, and um, talking to people in Saudi Arabia, particularly um, about what how they perceived the jinn. Uh, it's a question of perception, clearly, and, and of of um, explanation. How do you explain phenomena that that are, are puzzling and perhaps don't uh, fit into your into the normal experiences of, of your life? Um, the people of the Middle East and uh, the greater Islamic world um, believe firmly that jinn are real creatures. Um, they are. Uh, this this comes uh, primarily from from the um, the passages in the Quran the holy book of Islam that um, uh, that verify the existence of genies for Muslims. Um, and, um, you know, for us uh, in the West, uh, it's kind of, it's an alien concept, but there were things about it that really, that seemed similar to phenomena that I was seeing in other countries. And I, I was also um, interested in, uh, Comparing how the how the jinn behaved with with the um, alien phenomenon in mm-hmm. in the United States, um, alien abductions and so forth. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, the jinn do the same kind of abducting as as aliens in uh, Western culture are, are said to do. And so I, I thought there were there might be some parallels here and things worth exploring. And I started digging deeper into the material, and before you knew it, uh, I'd come up with a, a plan, and, uh, and i put put it down on paper and, and move from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people that I know in Saudi Arabia that, who believe in the jinn phenomenon are, are very reasonable, uh, ordinary folk, um, and, and the fact that, that they take this so seriously um indicates to me that I should at least try to understand uh, where they're coming from. And that's what the book is about, an attempt to understand how people can believe in a phenomenon like this and uh, what does it mean for them. And does it have more meaning than uh, than simply a fireside story? Is it more than, than something to scare kids with uh, in the evenings? Or... Is there something to it that um, is deeply embedded in, in human nature? and uh, I think there is I really do. I think that the belief in um, in Jin here um, I've compared it among a number of societies and I, in in some cases I mean you it takes a while to get into into the jinn phenomenon, but there are evil jinn and good jinn there are uh, the jinn are. Um, a creature of uh, a sentient being with uh, the ability to distinguish right from wrong, the ability to to act on free will and um, make choices, and some of them end up being uh, believers in God or a higher power. It can be any religion. Uh, others um, reject religion and. Um, and yet are inextricably linked with it because they associate themselves with the devil. And um, you have uh, the evil jinn Are they fall into several categories. You've got um, the Ifrit, uh, well, actually you've got a, a lesser category called the Shaitans, which simply means the Satans, like demons. Um, then there are the Ifrit, which are, are often larger and more frightening than the Shaitans. And then you have the Marids, which are the largest and most powerful of all jinn. And all these um, beliefs in, in evil jinns are, are balanced by a belief that there are good jinn. Um, some of them become uh, uh, partners of, of people and uh, protect them. Some of them protect houses, like the old uh, in the old uh, Roman concept of, of the genii or the, the genius. Uh, a household deity, and uh, so we have have all these kinds of things going on at the same time, and it's it's kind of interesting to to try and uh, separate them out and figure out you know why somebody believes in, in this sort of thing and why um, and, and to what extent it's uh, it prevails. I mean you'll, you'll find some people who will tell you that they think this is, these are all fairy stories or or the like that they're not really um, they're not really true and then mm-hmm. and yet you will find that these same people are uh will be frightened to go into an empty house for fear of disturbing the jinn. And and also they'll use um use religious um formulas to protect them. From the jinn, under many many circumstances.
0: So, how seriously are the jinn taken? I mean, as you said, some people some people believe in them, and others don't. Is it is it a case of where all good Muslims necessarily believe in the existence of jinn, or is it a case, no. for example? Well, for example, I mean, the one analogy that I got from the book was in some ways you might compare jinn uh, to demons or angels, uh, probably demons, uh, in the yeah. Bible, where, you know, not all Christians necessarily literally believe in the existence of angels, but many of them do.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, this is this is right. Um, if you talk to a, a westernized um, a Muslim in, in this part of the world, they'll often... Uh, tell you that uh there may per- perhaps be a metaphorical explanation for the jinn um there are some interpretations that say jinn could be uh, simply uh bad people or or um, unusual people um there are some who, who, who feel that uh who, who don't accept the, uh, the concept at all i mean you have a complete spectrum of, of people. Uh, the more religious the people are, the more they tend to believe in it. And the more traditional they are, the more they tend to believe in it. And we have um, a lot of traditional people here in Saudi Arabia, and they tend to tend to accept it. Uh, in in fact, uh, the government of Saudi Arabia is very very opposed to the the um, uh, the notion of black magic, which would be the kind of sorcery or magic that summons jinn to do your bidding. That can be a criminal offense here. In, in fact, in some cases, you can be sentenced to death for it, uh, which indicates that they believe it's not simply a case of fraud, but um, uh, of a person trying to defraud someone by, by claiming that they have access to the jinn and can tap their powers, but rather that they uh, that indeed it is a real threat, and it is a threat to goodness and religious belief. So,
1: so, how is how is the uh, the Arabian jinn concept different from like the Westernized version of the genie in the bottle?
2: Well, uh, that's that's pretty much entertainment, and you do find that in in um, the culture here. If you go back to the Arabian Nights tales, uh, there are a number of those. There there are genies in bottles, but they're only a small. Uh, it's a small. Uh, small fraction of of jinn belief and it really is um is purely for entertainment the storytellers will tell stories about jinn who have uh have these powers and that you can you can call on them to do these do uh things for you but um in in terms of um uh day-to-day life nobody here expects to come across a a bottle with a genie in it on the beach um what they what they think will happen is they, they might encounter jinn, in um, in remote places, um, places that are desolate, ruins, archaeological ruins, for example, um, uh, sewers, um, dark places,
1: caves. You mentioned that I that was actually one of my questions. Was it seems like jinn uh, they inhabit abandoned places, in in that way. In 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 that particular way, they sort of fulfill the same niche as uh, ghosts do here in the U.S. Uh, for yes. people, it's a haunted thing. Of ru- it haunts ruined places. Um, does did is there more belief in jinn than ghosts in Saudi Arabia or in the Middle they, East?
2: They don't. There isn't a belief in ghosts as we know it. Uh, okay, ghosts being spirits of the dead. Uh, at least I haven't come across it. Anytime. Uh, Someone will tell you that an abandoned old building is haunted. It's haunted by jinn, And jinn are not, not considered to be the spirits of the dead. They are a separate um, species of being, uh, an intelligent being that lives on earth with man. In fact, lives in other places as well, perhaps in another dimension. Perhaps uh, uh, since they're invisible, uh, in- in frequently it's hard to tell. Where they where they hang out, but there are stories about about that. Um, but the jinn have the ability to 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 pass from invisibility to visibility, and uh, they do that through means that uh, we can't explain. And um, there are some people. Uh, I I think my book indicates uh, some people who have tried to speculate as to whether perhaps the jinn are. Uh, visible in, in spectra that we can't see the infrared or the ultraviolet. Uh, ultra, in, infrared generally for jinn and ultraviolet for angels is the way that people in this part of the world look at it. Anyone who tries to find a scientific explanation for these creatures. Um, but they live, um, they guard treasure, they they live in abandoned places, They and yet at the same time the, the jinn are known as As a tribal people, uh, they are said to live, uh, to have families and like human beings, um, and uh, tribal groups, clans. There have been stories of them uh, doing the pilgrimage to Mecca uh, Hmm. by camel caravan, um, people encountering them in the desert. Uh, So there are, um, they have a whole lot of, a whole range of, of actions and experiences that uh, that go a little bit beyond haunting. They also seem to have the ability uh, to uh, possess human beings, uh, much as a, as a demon would in the Western tradition, um, the exorcist kind of thing. Um, and there are people in this country and in others in the area, uh, religiously oriented people, um, Religious scholars and so forth, who specialize in um, helping to uh, exorcise demons from uh, afflicted people, this gets into the area of psychology, of course, um, and some people there are cases of people who have gone through uh, psychiatric treatment without benefit and and then went to a religious leader. And, and were exorcised and were cured. Um of course there are probably many cases where the where that doesn't happen. Uh, but there are, people will do talk about that. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, possession as one another aspect. Um, and um well you have a whole lot of things. The origin of Jinn they go way back. I mean this is not something that, that started with Islam even though the Islamic faith confirmed the existence of jinn, as, uh, as the people here would say. Um, they go back at least as far as the ancient Sumerians, um, and and there were there were a number of, uh, oh, I guess they were one would consider them early deities, perhaps um, um, and nature spirits, um, wind gods, and that sort of thing, who, who eventually became jinn. And you hear about the uh, uh, the demon of the Exorcist, the movie and uh, and the book um, was that right? done Pazuzu, Yeah, Pazuzu. Yeah, yeah. Now, Pazuzu is is thought to be an early jinn form. It, he he comes out of the uh, Pazuzu, uh, is is uh, comes out of the hot desert wind, and that uh, is one interpretation of how how the jinn are born, or or created. Um, Generally, people here believe that they were they're created uh, from uh, smokeless fire that God originally created them from smokeless fire like he was is supposed to have created uh, man out of clay mm-hmm. uh, but they um, there are some who believe that uh, that the um, that the jinn actually come from hot desert the scorching desert wind um, but for the purposes of my book, that when I call them fire spirits, I'm referring to that origin. Not that they have any uh, connection with fire now, just as humans would not be considered to be clay creatures. Uh, but. Um, it simply identifies their origin in the views mm-hmm. of most people in this part of the world,
0: getting back to are talking about how it was originally associated with the winds and stuff it it, it was it struck me reading the book that in many ways the jinn come from a long tradition of blaming sort of the, the supernatural or natural other uh, for bad things that happened you know you you, you have droughts, you have sandstorms you have bad areas are areas where where wise travelers either don't go or, or tread very lightly and it seems like the the, the djinn, uh reside in those places and so in some ways it seems like the the are are used uh, as, as other monsters are throughout the world as well as sort of a boogeyman you know well, watch out you know if you if you <laughs> don't stay too far off the path because you know bad things will happen to you um in in, in you also talk for example about how uh about how Jin, uh, are said to um appear in the form of snakes and that there's a prohibition against killing snakes because, well, don't, don't kill a snake because if it turns out to be a gin, you're going to be in bad trouble. So it's sort of, <laughs> uh, again, sort of the, the, the social control aspect of, of, uh, of gin. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. And that's, uh, well, this, they can take the form of many things. Snakes is, is one of the most common, but, uh, there, the fact that, um, uh, I mean, the number of stories uh, in Islamic uh, lore about people who have killed snakes and have, have been punished for it—either uh, gone before jinn courts, or or, or um, been put to death, or by um, by spirits—or uh, there are lots of ways that, that they could take revenge. Uh, but the idea of um, in Islam is that if you if you have a doubt as to whether a creature is is actually um, a jinn if you If you see an animal and you think it perhaps is a jinn you use a uh, a religious formula you recite a religious formula to determine uh if that's the case um generally um what they call the bismillah, or in the name of God bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Rahman rahim in the name of God the compassionate and merciful if you say something like that um and there are a number of other formulas but that's the most common um the the jinn uh, will flee from you, and you won't have to worry about having to kill them. Uh, in the case of a snake, it would leave you, or uh, uh, even insects in your house. If uh, if they happen to be jinn and you recited uh, uh, one one of these formulas, then uh, they would leave you.
1: Oh, well, wow. let's go see. That's very similar to um, the way that uh, Christians often deal with demonic forces: is uh, an incantation, a hail mary, that sort of thing. Yes. So, yeah.
2: and, and what you were saying about the, about uh, the forces of nature is actually, I think, uh, pretty pretty close to the case in, in some respects. Certainly, there are all kinds of of environmental hazards in this part of the world that that can be explained by by the uh, by the inter- intervention of supernatural creatures, um, and I think that's that probably is the case. But there are also um, there are also other uh, there are explanations that uh, that are not related to nature. and um, so we have, we have all kinds here. Uh, the animal thing is, is interesting. Shape-shifting seems to be one of the uh, characteristics, the most common characteristics of gin, and um, why they would take one shape rather than another is, has, hasn't really been well explained to people. Um, but you do see them in just about every animal form except the wolf, and hmm. um, that is uh, has, is kind of mysterious. But uh, there there is uh, apparently the jinn cannot uh, or will not uh, emulate a wolf for some reason. There there is uh, a, a jinn creature in Yemen that does take the form of a wolf, and that's the sort of the exception that proves the rule. It's something called the Udrut and it it, uh, appears on the scene when someone has been killed and there is blood, when there is some sort of a violent act and there is a dead person. The creature as a wolf will will come and lurk and scare people, but it never does anything. I mean, it never attacks anyone. Uh, It's just a a visible presence. Um, Hmm. That's the only time uh, that I've ever come across... uh, Jinn uh, in the form of wolves, and that's only in, in uh, southern Arabia. Uh, in the other parts of Arabia, that they would never, the jinn would never take the form of a wolf. So is uh,
1: First, I was going to say, is the scope um, culturally is 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 the scope of uh, the influence of jinn uh, tied to Islamic culture, or is it tied to North Africa, or how do you think that plays out? Because I know there's a lot of shape shifting beliefs. Uh, in sort of shamanistic parts of Africa, but I don't remember, and uh, in, in southern Africa, for example, hearing about jinn, for, I don't remember
2: that coming up. Yeah, the, the, you do have the jinn in, uh, in, in certain parts of Africa, mostly ones where the influence of Islamic culture is uh, is strong, particularly areas where Arab traders came through, But and also um, in uh, Nigeria, uh, up, up near the Sahara, where the influence came across uh, the desert from the the Berbers, the Tuaregs, and other nomadic people. But North Africa has its own, they have its own twist. Uh, the North Africans have their own twist on um, on jinn belief. Um, some of it's really interesting. Uh, the, there's the, the famous uh, uh, character, a, a woman, um, who is a, a, like a Lilith figure. In the book, we talk about Lilith as being not only a, uh, uh, creature of of Jewish lore, an ancient uh, Jewish lore, but also of uh, of Arabic lore, and also pre-Islamic Arabic lore, because the ancient Babylonians had a Lilith figure, which would be a a female that seduces men and and uh, wreaks havoc on on babies and um, does a number of things, uh, uh, very antisocial things that uh, that. Result from how that that legend developed. The, um, the Lilith creature, in fact, Lilith is sometimes viewed in the in the Babylonian tradition as a vampire, which may be. I mean, there are some Middle Eastern um, parallels to to some of our famous Western monsters, and that that may be one. Um, but the um, this Aisha Kandisha character in uh, Morocco and Algeria. Um, to a limited extent, Tunisia is um, is a very powerful force. Um, this is like, uh, it, it's along the lines of the incubus or succubus. Yeah, exactly,
1: uh, exactly.
2: Uh, it seduces men, particularly, uh, uh, well, not just single men, but they, they seem to be partic- uh, often victimized, but also um, married men, because the tradition is, of course, that uh, Lilith, or Aisha Kandisha, as, uh, uh was was rebuffed by or well, left Adam actually she uh, made the choice to leave Adam because of her uh, uh un- unwillingness to accept uh, his uh domination during uh during sexual relations um and um because she wanted to be on top uh, basically and that that um, that belief that that she uh uh, and leaving adam uh, was filled with rage and uh, and uh, went to the Red Sea and uh, mated with a n- number of demons and produced all kinds of gin, uh, evil jinn. particularly um, this uh character this lilith character as is, is in north africa is is become is named aisha kandisha and she is there 's even a a, a band that 's named after her It's right quite uh, Interesting how powerful that influence is. Uh, I was in you the- also find character. You also find in Tunisia some some strange stuff. Uh, uh, they have gin of, of, of the land, sea, and air, and and this is a, probably the only place where you will really see an in-depth uh, um, uh, portrayal of djinn as uh, aquatic creatures. They're sort of like mer creatures, mm-hmm. uh, mermen, and uh, mermaids. So that's uh, that's really interesting, but it comes out of the fact that Tunisia is its strong uh, merchant tradition and is the site of ancient Carthage and so forth. And that um, belief goes back at least as far as the Carthaginians.
0: Well, you, you mentioned uh, the, the historical uh, character of Lilith. Um, if I'm not mistaken, King Solomon is also supposed to have uh, a connection to Jinn. Can you talk about that?
2: Yes, King, King Solomon, um, it's funny. Uh, uh, this time of year in Saudi Arabia, uh, when you're walking in an area where there are trees and, and some grass, you'll often see uh, a bird called the hoopoe. It's a rather colorful, but it's a it's a light uh, brown bird with with black stripes on it and a tuft on its head. And it's really a, a striking looking bird. You see you see a lot of them this time of year, and this was a a bird that uh, is is very famous in. Uh, in ancient lore, it, in Arabic it's called the Hudhud, H-U-D H-U-D, and this and it's also very important in Jewish lore. Um, and the uh, the hoopo uh, brought um, to King Solomon in Jerusalem word of the Queen of Sheba. The first time he ever heard of her. She now uh, Sheba is supposed to be ancient Saba, which is down in uh, in the corner of Arabia in Yemen. And um she is supposed to be half jinn. Um, I'm trying to think now whether it was her mother or her father, but I don't know which one uh was supposed to be of jinn origin. And um uh the hoopo told Solomon, because Solomon had the uh the ability from God to communicate with animals and jinn, um, told Solomon that uh this beautiful queen was, was down in, in uh Saba, and that that he really ought to check her out. So he invited her to come up to um, to Jerusalem, and then, then uh, you know, the rich lore of, of Solomon and Sheba followed out of that. We took it all. We brought them to our land.
0: An endless night, amber hot and icy cold.
2: The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Oh carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did.
1: And in the end... What will I become?
2: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2.
1: Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma.
2: Each week on Chinwag, we dig into
1: the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy... UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost. and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon.
2: Um, in fact, he even at, at one point uh, wanted to find out whether she had gin characteristics and he Solomon is said to have, have um, created a, a fake pond in one of his palaces, uh, a pond that looked like water but was actually glass and uh, invited... Um, The Queen of Sheba, she was known in Arabic tradition as Bilkis, asked her to walk across it. It was very shallow, of course, it seemed, and she did, and she lifted her skirts, and he wanted to catch a look at her legs to see if she was uh, could possibly be a jinn, based on her legs. Some people said that they had hairy legs or even goat feet. Um, These beliefs, of course. They vary depending on where the story comes from. But um, the outcome of that particular incident has been kept secret from all all of us, so we don't know exactly what Solomon saw. Uh, But Solomon, uh, he did have the ability to control the jinn based on a a ring that God gave him, this magic ring which had the seal of Solomon on it, which is essentially the, the Star of David, um, this ring um, has been lost to history if it ever existed, but it was said to have the power to make um, evil jinn do his bidding, and uh, they in effect became his servants and built a number of palaces and castles um, throughout the Middle East on Solomon's behalf. Um, there are a number of other stories that talk about um, these jinn when they some of them got free and you know what happened uh, what happened there there there's, a, there's some good stories in the arabian nights in relation to this some of them are tied in with some very old history for, from el andalus or islamic spain when in, um, in, in connection with something called the city of brass there was said to be in the sahara somewhere a city built of brass and um one of the governors of El Andalus, um, um, uh, at the request of the Caliph in Damascus, uh, went on an expedition into the desert to find the city. And In the process, he found the city, but he, he also found uh, um, somewhere near the sea um, a collection of uh, sometimes described as casks, sometimes as um, other types of containers, uh, that were in the, that were at the bottom of the sea and, and they were said to contain gin and he had them brought out by, uh, by divers and placed on the shore and opened and as he opened them, the, um the gin who were, were in these, these casks flew out rapidly into the sky and, uh, and expressed great, uh, fear of Solomon. They thought Solomon was still alive, and they fled from him because uh, he had put them in these boxes many, many years ago, according to t- tradition.
1: Um, Would you say that fear of Solomon is their generic response?
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are definitely <laughs> generic, generically uh, uh, frightened by Solomon. He was, He was the guy with the power. And that's why there have been some people who have have looked for that ring of power that he had and uh, tried to figure out where it could have been. of course, that assumes that the story is true, but um, all all we know is that it's a great story. And uh, there are a number of, of castles and structures in various parts of the Middle East, and this one that I mentioned in the Sahara was supposed to have been built by Solomon, too, at the, with uh, gin laborers, uh, th- the story of Solomon is, is grander than the reality, obviously, and his ex- the extent of his empire was, was immense, according to, the, uh, to ancient belief. Uh, this is the same as Alexander the Great, of course, who was, was dramatized even more, I think, in the romances of Alexander the Great. Um, I don't have any good... The Jim jin stories well I was,
1: <laughs> there's a lot of stories about them doing miraculous things, but then there's the more sinister side about uh abduction so uh- wh- why do you think they're reported to abduct children? what is that all about I don't know I don't know what it's about
2: okay <laughs> um I think it's basically um, um it's it's an explanation you know for for uh, for having a child that that doesn't appear to be <laughs> The child of the, of the parents. Um, uh, it's it's one way to explain it's the changeling story. Okay. It's the changeling. Okay, and uh, you know that you see that sometimes. And uh, who else could have taken the child but but the jinn and, and substituted one of their own, who is obviously not from our family. Um, uh, I don't I don't know um, really, how, but there are abdu- abductions of adults as well that take place. In some cases, people that. To live many years with the jinn. Some of them uh, eventually escaped. There was—I uh, remember reading one. There's a story in the book about this. There's one um, one guy who was—I think he spent seven years with the jinn, and he finally escaped uh, when he came across some rue, which is a, a plant that the jinn hate, and uh, was told to stay away from it. That they hated it, and because the, they had him, he, he was out in. In, in uh the wilderness with the jinn. And the um, by by running toward that roo and grabbing it and, and holding it to himself, he, he managed to frighten the jinn away so he was able to go home to his family. Uh, but there are cases where pe- you know people are captured by them and, and I guess enslaved by them. But that um um any kind of story you can imagine probably has been told somewhere in the middle east about uh about the jinn uh, I think they 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 cover a multitude of sins.
0: I was going to ask one thing that intrigued me about about the book and your discussion of gin was that uh is that they not only can they take you know, basically any form they want pre- primarily of course animals but of course they can look exactly like us um and so and you know and your book talks about people who believe or sort of suspect that they may have encountered jinn uh previously people either who either did bad things to them or did good things to them in a couple of cases doing favors for them um so how uh, assuming that jinn exist and <laughs> that that's a big assumption but assuming they exist how would we uh how would we know who who's the who's a jinn and who's not i mean if if they can act like us if they can get married if they have kids if they have you know jobs and religions and faith and if if in in just about every other way they can be exactly identical to us our, our doppelgangers uh yes. how do we tell uh how do we tell them apart
2: we can't um that they they can uh, duplicate uh, people and and act just like them, and they're, if they're not doing it for evil purposes, there's no way you can tell. If they are doing it for evil purposes, you can use religion to uh, to expose them because the they're, 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 they, the evil jinn fear the word of God, according to tradition, and you can use the uh, the formulas to, to to sort of like garlic, you know, to, to bring them out, as, as as you might with a with a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think there are probably cases, uh, and you read about them in in, in lore uh, of you know people who were who are jin and and go many years without being detected, but generally something they either they slip up. Or, or in their cases where, um, or, or they um, are somehow detected, uh, but you know, generally, uh, you know, they can do it for quite some time, and you wouldn't know. And there, uh, we see examples, modern examples of this in the book, where um, uh, there's a, a girl, a Bangladeshi girl, who is talking about a girlfriend of hers who she's convinced is a jinnia, or female jinn. but there are. Um, And she didn't realize it at first, but, uh, you know, people, then they conclude after seeing certain behaviors that that these people are jinn.
0: So so it's often sort of a a retrospective diagnosis.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, it's an explanation. You know, how do you explain uh, some bizarre behavior? How do you explain anything? Uh, Well, you draw upon your traditions, and this this is where the jinn come in, and they're um i'm trying to think of uh some interesting examples of that um for you but i
1: well they can read uh, the book
2: right <laughs> I, that's, I think that's what it's for <laughs> i mean, basically i'm not trying to persuade anyone of anything in this book i really i just want to open them up to the to the tradition and and let people look at it and and enjoy it because i think there's some interesting and um, amusing and scary stuff to be learned from it well, and,
1: and for a lot of us, uh, who, even people who uh, read up on monsters and the supernatural a lot, uh, the the just because we live uh, in in a westernized world, we aren't f- able to be exposed so easily to some of the folklore and cultures from other parts of the world. So this is a a great uh, thing for you to put that out.
2: Thanks. Sometimes I I want to do some more writing on on the connections between our traditions and the people here in the Middle East, because uh, I've, I've found some interesting connections of some of our, our monsters uh, from the European tradition. And um, I was just doing some study of, um, of one of one of the monsters that's well-known in, in the West, even though it isn't a European phenomenon. That's the zombie. It's very popular today. Um, it originally comes out of... Um, uh, Haitian tradition and and from uh, before Haiti came out of sub-Saharan Africa, but the, the zombie as we see it today in, in modern uh, folklore, which you'd have to say includes um, motion pictures, uh, is is uh, quite different from the zombie of of Haiti or uh, New Orleans. Even uh, the zombie. Um, that we see in uh, George Romero's The Night of the Living Dead is is actually a bloodthirsty, uh, flesh-eating creature. And I've seen uh, a recent, uh, a fairly recent study of, of George Romero's work, and he's a real pioneer in the modern zombie. Uh, it says that he actually borrowed that concept from uh, the Middle East, from the ghoul. The ghoul hmm, I, is a... Yeah. It's a very as a flesh eating monster. It's a it's a jinn origin, and um, it's um, it, it. When you think about it, it ties in very well with uh, Night of the Living Dead. And my next
1: uh, my I mean, next question was going to be: You cover ghouls quite a lot. What is the relationship between the ghoul and the djinn?
2: Well, it's kind of a specialized djinn. It's an evil one. It's. Um, it doesn't fit into the major categories. When I said the Shaitan and the Jafri and the Mara, it doesn't fit into those, or into the run-of-the-mill jinn, which would be either just the jinn as we know it, or the Jan, which is the collective of all these creatures. They call them Jan, J-A-N. Um, but the ghoul is, uh, is a particularly frightening example, which almost universally believed to be a jinn. Um, However, there, I'm sure there are some. You'll find some people say, "No, no, it isn't." But it is a monster that is said to inhabit caves and uh, remote places that will uh, uh, trick you. Um, often, it's it's a female, often called a gula, and the gula will uh, will first present itself as being very beautiful and then suddenly reveal its 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 uh, frightening appearance it's it's a large hairy ugly beast and um and it uh loves to eat uh human flesh and uh, there's some wonderful stories out of yemen on on this um there was a, a guy um, king um, safe who's who one of the kings of yemen who ends up going to um, he gets uh, an effect dropped into a, a valley of the ghouls and um is kind of is stuck there, and trying to figure out how to survive, because um, he knows that this valley in Yemen is filled with these evil ghouls. So he goes up into a tree and uh, to spend the night. And when he wakes up in the morning, there's all the tree is surrounded by these monsters that just want to eat him, and they can they can smell him like the Jack and the Beanstalk giant, you know, fee fi fo fum. Uh, they know they can smell human flesh and human blood and they were around the tree ready to chomp on him. Um, He eventually gets out of this by um, uh, cutting a deal with the queen of the ghouls. And um, it's a long story, but uh, he's a hero. So he gets to escape. Um, But these kind of things, uh, the ghouls are, um, those legends still exist in Egypt. They're very popular in Egypt. Um, I, haven't heard a lot of that in Saudi Arabia, but um, as I said, Yemen is is a is rich uh, territory for the ghoul as well.
1: Well, do you do you sorry, do you, do you read H.P. Uh, Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard? Sure. sure. Yeah, I was gonna say oh. the uh, it's interesting how especially Howard's work ties in the sort of Arabic jinn uh, and the sort of take on the the Celtic uh, little people. And Arthur Machen's take on the little people as not something that's just a fairy tale, but something that's really horrible and frightening. Uh, so the, 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 this uh, Lovecraft, yeah, and, yeah, Howard sort of formed that nexus uh, within fiction of tying that folklore together really neatly. So,
2: yeah, I agree. It's very, very interesting, and um, a lot of this stuff that comes out of the Middle East is, is, has been uh, integrated into into Western uh, literature, and I. I think that's well, that's one of the reasons I I got interested in it because I came into it sort of through the back door and then realized oh this is the Middle East I mean they're all talking about this area where I live and um, I was happy to uh, to be able to do the research to um, to find out more about this and I this is something that uh, I think um, people around the world can uh, enjoy particularly as literature I mean there's a there's a lot of really interesting gin related tales uh that that people can uh can can grab onto if they are of the mind to it's if you're if you're tired of the old monsters uh try some of these they're even older but they look a little newer because you haven't uh you haven't seen 'em much
0: yeah they're they're directly
2: they're they're they're,
0: they're sort of a, a new a new variation new twist on a lot of a lot of what people think that's that's one of the things that i uh was that surprised me frankly about your book was that you know i, I knew it was about uh you know genies and gin uh but then all of a sudden we're talking about ghouls and we're talking about you know <laughs> urban legends and we're talking about succubi and and it was interesting to sort of see how how there's all these these tangential monsters and creatures that are actually uh actually tr- you know, trace their roots back to gin and certainly have common common roots um, let, let me ask about you talked about um one very one version of it um uh seducing men so people believe that you can have sex with gin. what what do what did the the gin experts say i mean is it uh other there are people
2: who There's a lot claim- of dispute over that that it is not it's not a 100% if you Ask an Islamic scholar, he could come up with one one answer or the other. There are a number of them who say, "Oh, yes, it's it's purely n- normal and natural for these two different species to um, to have relations, sexual relations." Uh, others will say, "No, it's impossible." And and I think I I, I referred to both of these traditions, but there um, the more interesting one is where where the two species can interact in that way. And there's, um, I think that, I think on the popular level, it's, uh, it's more, it's more accepted than, um, than the one that says that they can't have relations. Uh, It's accepted because it's, it's more interesting. It's more tantalizing. And it also, some of it ties in with these, uh, I don't know, there's, there's an awful lot of, uh, heavy symbolism involved in all, all of the stuff that's uh, the, mm-hmm. the jinn stuff. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm thinking of an example would be um, the Palestinians, um, um, the Palestinians who have have had um, had relations with uh, jinn um, that who were Jewish jinn, mm. had sexual relations with them. So, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it's sort of like, Trying to solve the Middle East conflict through bizarre <laughs> monsters—I don't know—it's kind of right, it's right. really unusual. But there, I mean, if you read up on the, in the psych, psychiatric literature in uh, Israel, there's a lot on this. Uh, the Israeli psychologists and psychiatrists have taken great interest in the in the belief in um, in the jinn and um, and their and the connections with the the political situation and uh, generally it's the palestinians who were the, the ones who were most affected by the jinn phenomenon there uh, most of the israelis are pretty westernized or modern in their uh, perspective
1: as islam has spread have the jinn spread as well i mean so like is is american people uh would would they expect american islamic people would they expect to see uh, a gin instead of a ghost in the house—is that is, you know what I mean? I mean, as is, is, is is yeah. a folklore, it's is, is carried over.
2: It carries over. There are cases of, of gin possession and, and gin uh, activity in the states. Um, there have been—I've uh, uh, been collecting this kind of lore for a long time, and, and only could put a fraction of it in, the, in this book. But there are a lot of news stories. Uh, uh, you'd be surprised how many times the gin pop up. In places where they're not expected, one of them is in the United States, and uh, it's been involved in. Jin, Jin uh, belief is tied in with uh, with the uh, the terrorism issue. There there were cases of uh, people who were associated with terrorist groups who were um, believers in Jin, and hmm. um, uh, I think you you saw some of that in Iraq as well. Um, there were people who were saying that uh, Saddam Hussein had made a pact with the jinn. Uh, looks like they didn't keep their side of the bargain. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was going to ask about that because uh, I earlier this year there was actually a story that came out that Ahmadinejad uh, of Iran uh his foes and and I think people, people in his cabinet were accused of using gin um and yeah. using for their own purposes. Uh so it's, it's fascinating to me again to sort of see the way that this ancient tradition can be sort of rebottled and respun and used for, for political purposes and sort of you know oh, just you just dust it off uh, what, do you think that's going to continue or what do you uh, what, why is that such an effective if it is if i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth do you think that is an effective strategy and if so why
2: well i don't uh, i don't think it's it gets as far as uh, as it as it might have in the old days um, i know that that issue did come up but i i think it also died down pretty fast um mm-hmm so i don't think it was as effective a tool um, particularly in in those among those people who are not extremely traditional now you have someone like ahmadinejad is but well, he's a mixture you know and he 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 comes out of a a, a tradition that's that's very very uh, supportive of the jinn, but at the same time he's he's tried to to distance himself from some of the religious leaders who support that kind of thing so i don't know i don't uh, i think you're going to see more of it in particularly in uh, developing countries uh more gin uh references as uh, as political excuses you'll see i think we've seen that in um we've seen it in uh certain countries in africa um i think we saw it in uh, afghanistan and um but this is uh I don't. I don't think it's something that's that's on the rise, um, because the, the belief in the jinn. I don't think is is necessarily on the rise. I think it's reached a sort of a, a stabilized level, and, and we'll, if anything, will be declining as time goes on. So, well, how would uh,
1: one distinguish a jinn from some other supernatural entity? What what kind of powers did they have uh, that make them unique?
2: No, different jinn have different powers. They have the power to uh, enter a human body, which is one thing. They have the power to fly. Um, many jinn uh, uh, have been known to to fly great distances in very very short amount of time. And and uh, this is Solomon and others used use this uh, ability to for reconnaissance that they would find out about what was going on in a neighboring country by sending jinn off. Um, there are, um, depends on, uh, again, on, the, on what type of jinn there are. Some of them have, uh, the ability to, um, to, uh, to speak through human beings. Um, when they, when they possess, they can <clears throat> take over the, uh, in addition to controlling the, they control the body and the mind apparently because they're able to speak, um, through the person and uh, say what they want to be said. Um, I think then you got jin that are just uh, they're just living their lives and they're not trying to uh, perform tricks or uh, exert powers over people. Um, I've mm-hmm. talked to people who've actually bl- said they were jin. Uh, you can never. Um, these are actually uh, remote con text by email and, and have no validity scientifically, but people who who were who actually um, Saudi and said they were Jinn and uh described in great detail the kinds of lives they led and and where they came from, where they went to school and what their tribe was like and
1: did you notice uh which uh internet service provider the jinn preferred? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no I think I, there, are, um, wherever there is email, there are jins.
1: I just and, I know uh, that, uh, that in, in a, at least in Western culture, the jins are really famous for having these really tricky uh, contracts. Like in order to get them to do something for you, you have to be very specific in how you word it, and uh, the sort of conflict between that kind of contract mind and the uh, people who do internet service providers contracts. No, that's clever. It could be really, it could be tight.
2: <laughs> yeah, it really could but i i for the most part, gin are not going to do you any favors. You can count on that um and if they're forced to, they will but um you're gonna to have to find a way to compel them, and that's that's where the problem lies that's um
0: uh, let me ask you about that because the the first time that I uh, really investigated gin was in Africa in uh, 2007 when I was in Zanzibar off the coast of mm-hmm. Tanzania, and I was looking into a mysterious creature called the popobawa, which is that means bat wing or bat foot. And uh, it's this sort of combination of gin, uh, ghost, uh, vampire creature. And I interviewed locals about the monster, and some some people believed. Um, a lot of them didn't believe in it at all. They just thought it was a, just sort of a, a piece of folklore. But many of them yeah. did. Um, and what, what really interested me was that when I asked them, "Well, where? What do you think the nature of this creature is?" Um, oftentimes, the explanation was that it was a gin. It was uh, not only was a gin, but it was basically a gin that had escaped its master. Uh, and I was told that there were, um, for lack of a better word, wizards or witch doctors who lived uh, near Zanzibar, or maybe in Pemba or in the Comoros Islands, um, that that could control gin. Uh, and uh, And you talked a little bit about that with like the the, the Seal of Solomon. But mm-hmm. um, I guess I have two questions. One is. How would a modern-day wizard uh, either capture and/or control a jinn? And number two, uh, how do modern Muslims sort of reconcile uh, the 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 belief? And again, you sort of touched on this earlier, but uh, you know how, how do they go about their daily lives, thinking that there is you know a, a, an evil jinn that's doing bad things in their
2: midst? Well, <laughs> uh, wizards use uh, spells. And uh there are spell books, um medieval spell books that teach you how to um how to do this sort of thing, how to control the djinn. Um I haven't seen any of these, I've just read about them. Um I did have an offer to see a translation of one at one time from a Pakistani graduate student um who said he was going to try out some of these spells. Um Unfortunately, he had a very bad experience and only shared a little bit of it. Um, but he insisted that it worked and uh, it, that it left his uh, his apartment uh, scorched black on the walls, and that he never wanted to do this again. So, I I don't uh, I haven't. Uh, this is not an area where, particularly in Saudi Arabia, you don't get into this sort of thing in any great detail. Um, it's It's considered uh black magic or the, or what they call the condemned system um sorcery is uh is not uh legal in Saudi Arabia. however, there are people around uh the Islamic world who practice this, and we all know that that's the case and they use spells and i I would venture to say that most of them are very ancient uh arabic uh, grimoires basically and um hmm. The, these books are are out there. Uh, some of them are are accessible. Um, whether they work or not, I can't say. Well put. <laughs> so we have to
1: ask every everybody who comes on our show. We try to ask them uh, what What is your favorite monster?
2: Mm, my favorite monster. Mm. I would have to say. Um, um, uh, Pazuzu, the demon. I would say he's he's the best. That's a good and one. A simply, lot of people like that. Yeah. <laughs> simply because I I really enjoyed The Exorcist, and um, I didn't realize that it had an actual basis in uh, one of the Middle Eastern demons. So
1: it's a film that turned a lot of heads.
2: And I, I've spent a lot of time in Georgetown where they they did some of that shooting. Yeah, this, uh, video, uh, the video filming of that uh, movie. So,
1: yeah, my niece is at Georgetown now, so I want to I want to go visit at some point and get a picture of the staircase. So you have to, yeah, you have to go. <laughs> it well, <laughs> well, I want to say, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, your book's very interesting, and we'll put well, a link you. to it in our show notes. Yeah, good good uh, job on it. that.
0: It's a uh, it's, it's a really fine piece of work, and uh, I mean, if I would consider essentially the definitive book on on gin. Uh, I mean, I know there are others out there, but this is this is certainly the 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 most recent, and I think the most thorough. And it, it just does a does a great job. So, uh, good job on that.
2: Thank you. I point out one thing, before we go, um, this being the uh, the end of Ramadan, uh, during the month of Ramadan, the uh, the jinn are. Are imprisoned by God, and uh, they're all chained, and they can't do all the evil that they normally do. This is God's way of giving, cutting a break for mankind. But uh, Ramadan's over, so they're on the loose again. uh Oh, better be careful.
1: At least you can um, have something to eat while you uh, ponder how to handle that, right? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Monster dog. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. You've been listening to Blake Smith and Ben Radford interview author Robert Lebling about his book, Legends of the Fire Spirits, which is all about the Arabic tales of jinn, genie, and ghouls. A link to his book is in the show notes. If you've enjoyed Monster Talk, I hope you'll consider donating a buck or two to our transcription project. Thanks to listeners like Gerko Balintian, Robert Smith, James F. Stein, Katie Alvarado, Brian Beedon, John St. Clair, Shane Brady, and David Rodriguez, we've managed to get six episodes ordered up for transcription so far. Having the transcripts helps in several ways. It helps Google searchers find us. It helps people reference our content in Wikipedia. And it will be vital for my upcoming YouTube project, which I'm planning for the show. It costs between $60 and $70 to get an episode transcribed. So even just a few dollars is very helpful. And thanks to everyone who's given so far. We really appreciate it. If you want to meet other listeners to Monster Talk, come join our Facebook group. It's free, and there's a lot of fun content posted there. You can find it by searching Monster Talk on Facebook, or come to monstertalk.org, and you'll find links to the Facebook page, as well as contact info for all the hosts, and links to our Twitter feed and other content. Monster Talk is produced with the help of Skeptic Magazine. Thanks, Skeptic Magazine! Music for today's episode included Arabian Landscape by Guardian MindMix. And as always, our theme music's by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you again for listening. More skepticism want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time then subscribe to skeptic the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field to subscribe visit skeptic.com today uh, it makes sense that they would be communicating with uh, telephones because they could be locked in with Solomon's ringtone
2: <laughs> 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 that would that would have tremendous power if we could if we could duplicate Solomon's ringtone.
1: I'll I'll promise Ben I'll take these jokes out and post. (laughs)